Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. My name is Lauren Consul, and I'm an attorney here at the New York Prosecutors Training Institute and also one of two traffic safety resource prosecutors for New York State. Joining me today is our second traffic safety resource prosecutor, Mary Tanner Richter. And Mary has been an integral part of the vehicular crimes community in New York State for some time. She has been serving as the Chief of Vehicular Crimes for the Albany County DA's office, but she recently in October joined us as the second TSRP with Joe McCormack's departure to become Judge McCormack downstate. So welcome, Mary, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's good to be here. So today we're going to talk about a somewhat complicated issue that one would not necessarily think would be so complicated and would think would come up all of the time. So to give us a little bit of background, why don't you tell us about the first time you ran into this issue with figuring out the appropriate sentence for a defendant who violates their conditional discharge interlock requirement at a certain point in the process? Certainly. The situation that we ran into was unique in that We had a defendant who was sentenced on a Class E felony, DWI, to one to three years state prison, then a three-year conditional discharge to run consecutive to that once he was released from prison for the ignition interlock. And this individual happened to make it through not only the state prison sentence, but was able to get through parole, off of parole, and was still in the middle of that three-year conditional discharge when he was arrested in another county for operating a vehicle. I think it was speed and other vehicle and traffic infractions. He was not charged with an 1198 on the new case, but did plead to the vehicle and traffic charges. So we had a conviction, just not an 1198. That triggered our monitor to know that he was driving a vehicle. They looked to see it did not have ignition interlock. And in fact, it was the same vehicle he had been driving at the time of our felony arrest. They then filed the notice to the court as well as to our office of a violation of the conditional discharge, and the case was put on our sentencing judge's calendar. At the time that the case was put on for the violation of that interlock conditional discharge, it was our position, the people's position, that we were looking for the defendant to be sentenced to the remainder of a one and a third to four years state prison for the violation of the uh, conditional discharge, seeing that he had not served the full amount that one could on an e-felony. He was only sentenced originally to one to three. While that was pending, we filed memos with regard to our position. The defense filed theirs in response. There was the Joshua Kuhn case that came through the third department, which you'll be speaking about, Lauren, that kind of tipped things on end for us and ended up tying our hands and potentially the judge's hands with regard to sentencing this defendant to the additional state prison time. Okay, so just to recap, because there are a lot of pieces here that we're dealing with, the people's position is that the defendant should be or could be sentenced to additional prison time because they did not receive the maximum sentence at the time they were sentenced on that e-felony DWI. Is that That's right? And what was the defense position when they filed their papers? Obviously, they were opposed to this. Do you recall what the reasoning was that they gave? They actually provided two bases for why they opposed our position. One, saying that the defendant was not aware of this being a consecutive conditional discharge that there was never any information that was provided to him from his prior attorney 
that indicated that that conditional discharge didn't run at the time of the original sentence. So it was a notice issue on one hand. The second argument that they posed to the court is that there's a double jeopardy issue with this, that their client had, in fact, served the uh, state prison sentence and actually, even after that, finished up his parole time. So that ended the sentence there at that moment. And to go back now and sentence the defendant to yet another state prison sentence, even if he got credit for time served, would actually be a double jeopardy issue for them. And based on that, and there being nothing in the statutes currently as they are that allows for that second state prison sentence, that it would have been an improper sentence by the court. Okay, so this issue actually, fortunately or unfortunately, is certainly not unique to your office. This actually came up quite a bit this past, I would say, summer into fall. And then, as you mentioned, in November, we did get a decision from the third department in the people, Joshua Kuhn, which we'll talk about in a moment. But essentially, my analysis of this, and there is an article actually in the winter edition of the Empire State Prosecutor that prosecutors can access, which gets into this in great detail. But essentially, the issue is that we have a lot of interplay, as we often do with the VTL, with not just the VTL in this case, but with the penal law and also the CPL. And there are quite a few different statutory sections that are sort of intersecting here. And it makes this remedy rather unclear. And certainly it seems like there should be a remedy for a defendant who violates a condition that is put in place by the court but we're left with this conundrum. So let's talk about People v. Kuhn because that is really the definitive guidance that we have at this point. This was originally an Ulster County case that made its way to the third department. We had a defendant who was sentenced on a felony DWI. He served one year, actually jail time, a determinate sentence of one year. And then when he was released, he had this, similar to your defendant, a conditional discharge that ran for a particular period of time. And he then violated by driving without an interlock. So he was brought back to Ulster County Court for sentencing. Similar to your arguments, you know, the people argued that he should have the sentencing exposure he would have had on his original felony DWI, which in his case actually was a class D. So they argued that he had plenty of additional exposure and could receive prison time as a result of violating these conditions. The court held that there certainly was a remedy to be had, but that it was not prison time. In order to understand the decision, you actually have to look at oh, I don't know, close to 10 different uh, sections of the law. And like I said, some of them come from the penal law, the CPL, and the VTL. And what ultimately happened and what they decided was that you couldn't go back and give them sentence. And they don't necessarily come out and say that it's double jeopardy, but what they say is that there's nothing in place currently that would allow them to give additional prison time when prisoner jail time has already been served. So their reasoning, to me, sounds like a double jeopardy argument. It sounds like that's sort of what they're going with. And my advice to prosecutors in the meantime, while we're dealing with this, because there is another case in the fourth department. So Mary, I know that you have been following this issue. Can you just tell us, I believe there is a slight distinction that the people are trying to make in the fourth department case of People v. Claude Zerbell, which is currently pending and actually is being submitted for argument in another couple of weeks. Yes, there is a slight difference with regard to those. 
in Zerbel, the difference is the defendant was sentenced to an indeterminate imprisonment of one and a third to four years state prison, followed by five-year post-release incarceration, which would be under probation. That included that five years for ignition interlock. The distinction there being it wasn't a one-year definite, which had been completed at the time of the violation. The argument is there's a little bit of wiggle room there in that it wasn't a full amount of time, just like the argument we made in our case that we don't have a final complete resolution on. That would allow a court to impose that additional sentence, whereas that one-year definite, when it's over and done with, that's the extent of it. Okay, so the pe- that is the argument that the people are making, and I did misspeak before. The case is not on for argument. It's actually being submitted the week of February 19th, so I believe we could expect a decision typically from the fourth department about six to eight weeks after that. So we will keep our eyes peeled for that, and we'll probably have an update. That being said, in the meantime, the advice that I would give to prosecutors would be that they do need to follow Kuhn because via Mountain View Coach the Storms, the appellate division you know, is a single statewide unit. And when one particular department has decided on an issue and no one else has, that becomes the rule in the departments throughout the state until the Court of Appeals or other departments hold otherwise. So in the meantime, do make sure that if you have defendants who are violating their interlocks, my suggestion would be that you either request that the court extend their probation time as we discussed or in the alternative, you certainly could prosecute them for the underlying crime of circumventing an interlock device, as you had mentioned before, under VTL 1198 sub 9. There are several different ways that they can circumvent an interlock device, and you certainly could prosecute them for that separate crime. And that was actually one of the things that the third department mentioned in their decision in Kuhn as a reason why they could not sentence the defendant to additional prison time, because they said this conduct makes out a new crime that you can then prosecute them for. So there is a remedy. You can give additional probation, or if you're looking for prison or jail time, you can prosecute them for that misdemeanor. I believe it's an A misdemeanor crime, and you can, you know, potentially get them additional incarceration time that way. So whether we agree or not, this is the current state of affairs in New York State, and hopefully this will be ironed out, you know, not just by the courts, but perhaps by the legislature and maybe close some of these gaps that are being left in the interplay between the statutes so that we have a more definitive and clear piece of legislation that will give us some guidance and also carry out, you know, the intent of the statute, which is obviously to keep our roads safer and to keep offenders from driving without these interlocks. So I thank you for coming today. And like I said, we'll keep an eye on this fourth department case and we will see what happens. In the meantime, I would absolutely encourage anyone that has any questions can feel free, you know, to reach out to NIPTI and to myself and to Mary, and we will be happy to help you with these issues. And one of the other things just before we leave to think about is if you are in that situation and your judge is giving probation now that they violated the conditions of the interlock, the next step, which again has not been argued yet, but is the next step even following Kuhn is what do you do when they violated that probation that they would then be put on for the initial interlock violation. So I think this is going to be a situation that even after the fourth department weighs in, we're not done with it yet. We're going to see the next installment when all those cases of the violations where they were put on probation, they then violate again what the remedy will be at that point and the appropriate sentence. So 
I think this is just one in many conversations we'll have with regard to this issue. Yes, and we will definitely keep our finger on the pulse and we will keep you all apprised. And if anyone is interested in the nitty gritty of all of this, as I mentioned, feel free to check out an article in the Empire State Prosecutor that I authored with one of our appellate attorneys here at NIPTI, Hannah Moore. So that can be found on Prosecutors Encyclopedia. And again, if anyone has any questions, always feel free to reach out. Until then, good luck and stay safe out there. 